0: Welcome to Pocketful of Grace, a weekly podcast of Grace Lutheran Church here in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Carolyn Hetrick, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Pastor Scott Schuhl, as we are in the second week of a four-week study on the book of Ephesians entitled Tending the Flame, where we're focusing on the hope and encouragement that is offered in this letter, not only to the church in Ephesus, but to the church in our time as well. Just a brief recap before we begin today from last week's session. We're talking about the city of Ephesus, which was a very diverse commercial community, a crossroads of people and faiths and cultures. The book of Ephesians is a general letter that's intended for a church that is growing, and its purposes are to engage some questions about how to be a church moving into the time beyond the initial founders, how to incorporate a new generation, how to hand on those core values, and how to come to terms with history and heritage. The community is primarily a Gentile community with a dwindling Jewish minority. So how does a religion remain connected to and come to terms with its historical heritage? The book also focuses on the importance of rituals as a community evolves. What will it mean that a charismatic leader and the Apostle Paul has been imprisoned, how does the community continue with a new focus on leadership? And in a time when people are invoking other powers of persuasion to captivate people and draw them in with falsehoods and trickeries, how do we remain steadfast? Finally, when those in power are attempting to fuse religious practices with nationalism, creating a religious nationalism, how do people of faith respond in the midst of all of these questions? and all of these forces around us. Pastor Shul, with that background in mind, uh, you're going to be leading us this week as we talk about Ephesians 3, focusing on verses 14 to 21. And how would you like us to begin today in our time together?
1: Well, just a couple of quick observations. I'm, uh, you, know, you were the one who came up with the idea for this uh, study on Ephesians, and I'm really grateful for that because uh, even as you were going through the recap, It was a reminder to me that even though we're dealing with a 2,000-year-old document, it is as relevant as today's news. The issues that uh, the people in Ephesus were dealing with are are very contemporary. A lot of the common denominator between their times and our times is that we're in this age of enormous change. And change is just naturally something that produces anxiety and worry in us. Uh, So in many ways, Uh, The example of the Ephesians is a reminder to us that God is in the midst of all of this and uh, should give us some peace. Today, now that you've done the heavy lifting of of introducing the book and the context, as you did last week, is to uh, dive much more deeply into a few verses. As you said, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And the way I thought we would do this is a tried and true way of reading and studying scripture, Lexio Divina, where we read it deeply and and let it rest within us. And then uh, we'll go back after we've read it in its entirety and pick it apart verse by verse together and and see where it leads us. And hopefully we'll hear God's word speaking to us just as loudly today as the word did 2,000 years ago. So friends, uh, listen now as I, I read this perhaps a little more slowly, but doing so in a way that I hope you will allow the the text to wash over you. Some of you will process this most effectively by just closing your eyes and listening. Others of you uh, may want to follow along. Again, it's Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. So here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom... Every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Just an initial thought as an overview of of this text. I I hear in it, uh, God reassuring people that whatever is happening within the church is far bigger than we necessarily see. You know, you and I have had to get used to preaching to a faceless congregation at times. During the pandemic, when we were closed, we were on the radio and that was a challenge. And then when people were in cars, in the for drive-in worship that was a little weird and even now when things are as close to normal as they have been in in a long time we're probably preaching to two or three times as many people either listening or watching online as are in the building Mm -hmm. any thoughts on what that has been like as a preacher
0: oh wow Well, on the practical level, I will tell you guys that when we first started preaching to you virtually only, I had to figure out where to look so that I was actually looking head on at the camera.
1: (laughs) We we had a lot of conversations about, look at that little dot. (laughs) And it depends on which device it
0: is. And I used to put a post-it note with googly eyes where I was supposed to look. (laughs) You know, over time, as we've had to pivot our way through various kinds of technology, then you have to learn the right way to do that. So are you using your phone? Are you using a laptop? Are you using a Mac? Are you using a PC? Are you using an external microphone? Are you using an external camera? How are all these things going to work? Why am I telling you that? At the end of the day, in spite of all of the anxiety about will I get this technically correct, it really does come down to remembering that the message that we share is so all-encompassing and overwhelming that all of our human shortcomings really for the most part fall by the wayside and and Mm. part of why i say that is the verses that are written in this letter before we get to where we started today where we're hearing the writer on behalf of the apostle paul saying you know i paul am this person and I have come to realize that I'm a servant of the gospel, and I've come to realize that even someone such as me, who frankly was a real jerk to a lot of people and didn't deserve to have a place in this good news, I've come to be enlightened. Mm -hmm. And this enlightenment that I've received about the wisdom of God that is so all-encompassing and accomplished through Jesus, I want you to know that we all have access to this. Yeah. Your question started with, talking about how we have access to one another and the good news, you know, in the time of changing technologies and such. And at the end of the day, what I used to always try to hold in mind when I was looking at the green dot or the red dot, or whatever (laughs) it was that I was looking at, and when I was finding myself stressing about, this is not gonna seem genuine, this isn't gonna work out right, people are gonna see this and see how flawed it is. At the end of the day, we've been given access to Christ's faithfulness and grace. And so we can have boldness and confidence, even when all of our earthly ways of looking at this wouldn't suggest that. Paul says, and it's for this reason that I'm writing, because I ask you not to lose heart because of whatever is happening. In this case, he's talking about him being in prison and the effect of that on others. I'm asking you not to lose heart And that's the precursor to then the verse that we hear, so I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And it reminds us that we're part of something so much bigger.
1: Yeah, yeah, so much bigger, and that uh, because it is so much bigger, it has a power and an efficacy beyond anything that we can imagine. So we can preach into a camera or, or whatever the means are and trust that somehow God is using that for good.
0: Well, you know, when we're speaking into those cameras, Uh, We're into the microphones because we know we're also on the radio. We're into this podcast. At the end of the day, part of what our effort is about is tending the relationship that we have with all of the rest of you and the relationship that we have with God together. And so, you know, I hope that that comes through uh, when you're listening to us or when you see us, that we're trying the best we can to keep the flame of that relationship kindled by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Well, let me recap that first verse again, and then offer a couple of observations as now we we go through this text in a more uh, uh, intentional way the 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 verse fourteen, which began our text here is "For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, whoever the author is, maybe it's Paul, maybe it's someone in his school, one of his associates, has suffered for the gospel and tends to find a little bit of sunshine in the midst of those storms. You know, this has been an opportunity in prison to share the gospel with Gentiles, with others who might not otherwise hear it, and is recognizing that no matter what our hardships are, there's also an opportunity in it as well. And that's certainly something we've spent a fair bit of time talking about over the last two years. There is this call to bow uh, in, in reverence. That was not the typical way of praying in that uh, era. It was more common to stand, but it wasn't completely unknown. Sometimes uh, we would kneel as well, uh, but there's a sense of of reverence. You know, one of the questions I ask myself, Pastor, uh, and ask about our times is this notion of a relationship with Jesus. We, It's become popular i've certainly said it myself i think there's a lot of truth to it that that our faith is basically a relationship with christ but sometimes i wonder if when we say that we're also implying that it's a relationship without any responsibilities hmm. we're 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 going to hang out with you jesus you're our best buddy because you let us do whatever we want and you you demand nothing of us am i am i misreading that tendency maybe i'm projecting well, now <laughs> uh, okay
0: well we don't have time to psychoanalyze that, but you know there, there's always that tension and it's within the church uh, longstanding. standing uh, what do people really have to do in order to demonstrate that they are living a life of faith sure and so the importance of the dilemma as they say is always between the understanding of grace which is that we receive something that we cannot earn there's nothing that we can do it's pure love coming to us from God, and at the other end of it, shouldn't your life bear some indication that you are trying to reciprocate that love? And so this has nothing to do with Ephesians, but I'm going to throw it in here just to muddy the waters. Then where does the prodigal son fit in? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Because the prodigal son has been a jerk. The prodigal son has wished his father dead so that he could have the money has run off, has squandered it, has behaved badly, has saddled the entire family with responsibilities and duties that they wouldn't have had for any other reason but for the fact that he has chosen to be who he is. And when he comes back, the father not only is looking for him, runs out to meet him, and Mm -hmm. the older son is like, well, wait a minute, I've been here all Mm -hmm. along doing all the right things, and this person over here hasn't done a single thing, and why is that right? And we're caught in this mystery of understanding grace, because we should be moved, hopefully, to want to reciprocate the relationship with God. That is different from Mm -hmm. saying, you sure better, and you know, I, I will say that I look at this in terms of relationship and say, if I have a relationship, an earthly relationship with somebody, how am I tending it? Sure. If I tell somebody I love them, but I never make time for them, and I never think of them except when I'm in a state of crisis, and I find a thousand other things that are more important than being in connection with that person, they would rightly say, are you sure you have a relationship? You do, but it's a really tenuous one. And I think it's more that the relationship is stronger when we're tending the relationship.
1: Yeah. God always loves first. God always takes the initiative. And, and hopefully that, there's a transforming moment there that causes you to want to love God back, not because you have to, but because that, uh, again, is evidence of a fruitful and, and joyful relationship. I mean, the, the prodigal son story is my favorite in scripture. I don't think we know uh, how the prodigal responds to the unmerited, unconditional grace of that story. Uh, but I, I, we do know how the older son does. Uh, he's in the kingdom. He is, you know, uh, saved uh, within the parable just as much as the younger son. And he's the one who gets corrected because he hasn't responded to the father's love by loving the younger brother. But notice he's not kicked out of the house either. Well, that's right. The grace, the salvation is still there.
0: And, and bowing the knee as we hear about, and I know we're still in verse 14. It's just proof that pastors can take a few words and string them out forever. When you are bowing and you are kneeling, you are not easily able to get up and walk away or run away. Mm -hmm. By your very nature, you're not looking all around at everything. It is a very much of a focusing thing that's happening there Um, in terms of what that means as far as ritual is concerned. It's why we tell little kids to fold their hands and put them in their lap and close their eyes and bow their heads to pray as a way of saying, you're really going to stop thinking about yourself or about everything else that's going on so you can focus on God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and to me, that's a part of what Paul is invoking here, uh, the grounding of that relationship in a ritual that reminds us to set ourselves aside.
1: Let's move on to verse 15 here, where where, uh, Paul, or the author of of this book, is speaking now uh, about some of the characteristics of this God. Uh, Verse 15 says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I think this is noteworthy on two points. One is that uh, in a day and age of enormous separation by ethnicity, by religion, by whatever category. Uh, This is a countercultural call to view uh, the human family as one uh, gathered by God. And that's something we continue to struggle with in in our day, just as much as they did 2,000 years ago. And I would say that the second major point here is This is one that that I I think about a lot, too, this notion of a three-dimensional world. We are a scientific, rational people. We like to weigh and measure and evaluate things. And I wonder sometimes if that has closed us off to understanding things in ways that can't be measured scientifically. I mean, even the scientific method, as wonderful as it is, cannot prove that the scientific method is the exclusive way for knowing things. And in the context of this passage, I think it meant a lot to the people of Ephesus to know that God and and the kingdom, the saints, the angels, however you want to characterize it, was so much more vast than the eye could see. And I'll just say personally, that, that notion has given me enormous comfort over the years and and, and maybe you know i 'm uh, archaic or 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 pious in a silly way, but things like a guardian angel I love that idea that God loves me enough to assign an angel probably over time to watch over me and i um, I think it bears some conversation you know over the coming years. As to, uh, as to the three-dimensional nature of heaven and earth as being far more than we can measure scientifically.
0: Yeah. If there's a cautionary note I would throw into that, it is what we've already seen in Ephesians, which is that we shouldn't say that because the world is much more vast than we understand it, we shouldn't assign those other beings the role of being the intercessor of our prayers. Mm. You know, there are people who will spend time invoking prayers to their guardian angel. Ephesians is very clear that that is not what we are supposed to do. We are in a relationship with God and Christ through the power of the Spirit, and there are other beings and there are other forces, but we are not to invoke them as being the forces that are going to be the source of our salvation. Ephesians is very clear. Well, I,
1: I think there's a difference between expecting that person or entity to be the source of blessing and, on the other hand, to be connected. In the same way that I know when I had my surgery recently, you prayed for me, and I was, including on Sunday morning, I was very grateful for that. I I, I didn't hear that as Pastor Hetrick, with her, her, her magic powers, was going to heal me. But I did feel a, a sense of being in unity uh, because uh, you were praying for me. And, and so I, I think to the extent that somebody gets comfort from a guardian angel, uh, your coffin is well-placed. Ultimate blessing always comes from God. But I do like the idea, and I think our Lutheran confessions even acknowledge this, that praying for one another on heaven and earth has, has some, some uh, power and, and possibility in it.
0: It does. The reason why I brought up what I did is that I think that it is a part of popular culture. Yeah. That people assign those kinds of roles that have power behind them. Yeah. To beings that are other than God. Sure. And we see an awful lot of popular culture around that. And that's not new, but it's very common today as well. And so just to hear that with a balance.
1: Yeah, we never want any of uh, those uh, acts of piety to be a substitute for Christ ever. Let's look at uh, verse 16. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he, meaning God, may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. I just want to lift up a couple of notions here. One is that the author of Ephesians now, according to the the scripture scholars, uh, is probably invoking some liturgy here. And we are in our liturgical church, which I love. I mean, liturgy is uh, grounded primarily in scripture itself. I I have found uh, over the course of my life, and certainly raising a couple of kids, that the liturgy has a a power to jump into us and to give us words of prayer and comfort that are sort of like carrying around a a hymnal in your heart. So I I like the idea that that liturgy is being used here. And this is um, one of several examples within Ephesians where the power of the Holy Spirit, that third member of the Holy Trinity, is uh, there for us to provide us uh, that uh, divine comfort and assurance in hard times. And so when we get together on Thursday with our in-person class, I'm hoping we'll have an opportunity for people to share some times when perhaps they have felt strengthened Mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit as well. Let's move on to verse 17, which reads, And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Another prayer petition here. What do you think, Pastor? What does it mean for Christ to to dwell in our hearts?
0: Well, I, I think for me, I sometimes imagine that as God's presence taking up space of my heart mm. if we understand our hearts to be sort of the root of all of our emotions at some level that's the languaging that we use uh-huh. you know uh-huh. the, the things that we're feeling in our hearts or with our hearts we can fill our metaphorical heart so to speak with an awful lot of things so if we imagine our hearts like a, a vessel right what does our heart contain mm. what are we filling it with and if if Christ of course is and, and infinite God, right? That's mm-hmm, the whole conversation about how can the, the uh, infinite be contained in the finite, the whole concept of, of Mary and the birth of Jesus. Or, or even a communion
1: wafer on, also, on Sunday morning. Yeah. Right.
0: So if I allow Christ to dwell in my heart and that Christ gets all the room that is there, well, then there are things that there isn't gonna, there's not going to theres not going to be room for. Right. Right? And if we could only describe God with one word, that word would be love. Yep. And love has a lot of iterations. But what will there no longer be room for if we say that this is where Christ lives? I wish I could tell you I do that completely every day, but I think we all know that I don't, but none of us does. But it is really aspirational to imagine that that what we're filling our heart with is giving Jesus all the room that there is. yeah. And it naturally evicts other things when we can be grounded in that way.
1: And when you think of it maybe as, if we're getting close to lunchtime. I'm thinking of the shopping cart at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my prayer life is now based around centering prayer. And the hallmark of that is to just create a, an emptiness or, or think of it as an empty grocery cart. And trust God to put into it what you need—the uh, salad, uh, the fruits and vegetables, not the uh, Oreo cookies. Because I, you know, at some level, human sin prevents us, no matter how much we want, uh, from from doing the good. And so, sometimes, just creating that space in that heart vessel is is enough. God will do the rest. Yeah. Well, let's now take verses 18 and 19 together because they're really a continuation of a sentence. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, here's that sense of God's love being so vast that it's virtually unmeasurable.
0: Yeah, to imagine that as far as the eye can see, all you see is God's love filling space. Mm -hmm. For those who were in person with me last week, a picture that I use on All Saints Sunday and in my own life, and I've used it on bulletin covers and things over the years, was a picture of people who were linked arm in arm Mm. in sort of love and consolation. And they're all linked together, and you see them stretching out over this entire landscape And as your eye gets out to the point of the horizon, you can't even really see individuals, but you recognize that there's a fullness, that there's nothing beyond it. This is all that you see. Nice. I come to that image often, and I know I have now said it for two weeks in a row, but just imagining that there is something that we can't fully quantify. It's like saying in other places in scripture when we hear God described as the wind, well, we can't really contain the wind. Yep. You know, we can't really contain uh, water. It's really, it's, it's possible, but it's very hard to control the flow of water. And you just think about things that are spilling forth in abundance. All those images that are ways of saying, you know, as we see here in the letter, I hope that you know the love that surpasses any measurement we can give to it. Not just knowledge, but comprehension and understanding. Just being filled with that.
1: There's a word you and I have used a fair bit over the last few years as we've tried to describe and and make sense of our contemporary culture. And that word is transactional. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that we only do things for people because we expect something in return. And indeed, that's a hallmark of many human relationships. And sometimes, even when faced with the vastness Mm -hmm of God's love, we tend to assume that God works the same way we do. It seems too good to be true that a God would love us just because, without any expectation that we can deserve it or merit it or somehow earn it. And I think that's something that uh, the author of Ephesians is also trying to convey uh, to the people who are hearing this letter for the first time as well as those of us who are hearing it all these millennia later.
0: Yeah, the idea that uh, when we say something is really too good to be true, part of what we're saying is uh, it can't possibly exceed our measurements.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And,
0: and yet, I think we've all had moments, and, and friends, perhaps you can think of some too, where yeah. you've had a moment that just exceeded every possible expectation you could imagine in your life. We want you to think about it. and
1: Well, surely they'll say, you know, when I got to the end of this podcast, it just exceeded every...
0: Well, that not. could be. But I think we've all had those moments where, uh, or I hope we have, that something has just been so overwhelmingly beautiful and and full of love that we just couldn't imagine that we would have ever experienced it. Michael and I are uh, delighted because our older daughter, Catherine, is expecting our first grandchild. And I'm sort of cautiously, but hopefully, imagining that notion of holding my first grandchild and that that would be one of those moments.
1: Oh, I'm sure it will be. Absolutely.
0: Well, we are, uh, we're very talkative today. So we probably ought to try to move ourselves toward the end and not ruin everybody's uh, <laughs> appetite for more discussion on Thursday.
1: Yeah, let's take the last two verses together again now as, as this uh, series of prayer petitions is sort of wrapping up now with a doxology or, or a blessing of, of praise. I'll read verses 20 and 21 together. Now to him who by the power work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.
0: That's about the best closing prayer we could possibly have. (laughs)
1: That's pretty darn good.
0: That's pretty darn good.
1: You know, in terms of, uh, maybe this is Bible trivia, maybe not, but this is the only doxology in the New Testament that mentions both the church and Christ Jesus. And I think that's noteworthy uh, because it supports what you were teaching last week about the use of this letter. We're, we're in a transition period here. We're moving away from the original apostles and that first generation of leaders. And this notion of the church is coming together now of, of an earthly representative uh, and, and, and a link between the heavens and the earth and God and people. Uh, and, and that connection is being made much more explicit now in this letter by tying the church explicitly to, to Christ Jesus.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to real quickly say one thing that's going to take us completely out of season for the church here and then move us toward the end, which is has to do with the, um, the season of Advent. Mm. And when I was growing up, it was always that we're, we're waiting to celebrate the birth of Christ and we're waiting for Christ to return again And as I've gotten older, more and more, that third understanding of Advent has come into being more fully, which is, and that we're looking for Christ coming into our midst right now. Yeah. And to me, that's a part of what's being captured here in this doxology, and a part of what this letter is about, is that it's not just about what has happened or what will happen. It is very much about understanding Christ's presence within us and the church in the here and now, that the in between, which is actually our whole life on Earth, yeah. God is intimately involved in that and cares about that. This is not just about you know, destination mile markers and that that's what's going to allow us to have that hope. That's the flame that we're trying to tend, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's easy for us to believe and, and to live into that, and other times it's really challenging. So with this underpinning now, of God's love that is greater than we can even possibly imagine, but we're sure going to try, as the letter tells us. Next week we'll move into Chapter 4 and talk a little bit more about some of the things that are sort of those grounding ingredients of living in faith with these underpinnings that we've been talking about. So, Pastor Shul, why don't you uh, go ahead and give us a closing prayer for the
1: day. Yeah, the prayer I picked today comes from St. Anselm of Canterbury, who lived from 1033, to 1109 and it picks up on this notion of what it is to have christ dwelling within us let's pray O lord who has loved us and saved us come and dwell in our hearts give us love the sweetest of all gifts which knows no enemy implant in our hearts pure love born of your love for us that we may love others as you love us O most loving Father, from whom flows all love, let our hearts, frozen by sun, cold to you and cold to others, be warmed by your divine fire. So help and bless us now and evermore. Amen.
0: Amen. Friends, if you can, we encourage you to join us tomorrow, Thursday, at 11 a.m. here in our fireside room. For further in-depth conversation, we just ask that you wear a mask. Uh, But we found that we really have some good conversations. And as always, stay tuned for Sunday. You can join us at 8 and 10.30 in the morning in the sanctuary. At 9 o'clock, we are in the Miller Center in person. And at 6 o'clock in the evening, we have our informal praise service in the sanctuary as well. You can also catch us on WRSC on the radio in the morning at 10.30 or watch our live stream, which is available by visiting our website, glcpa.org. And when the homepage alert pops up on the screen, you'll see blue letters that say click here, click there, and it will take you to our live stream. You can watch it live at 1030 or watch it later. It's also available on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Friends, however we gather with you, in person or in spirit, may we continue to tend the flame of faith together as we follow Jesus. Take care, friends. Bye-bye.